Just ahead on Black Issues Forum, a new lawsuit on behalf of black farmers illuminates once again racial inequity in agriculture, but also continuing efforts by black farmers to gain ground. Stay with us. Welcome to Black Issues Forum. I'm Deborah Holt Noel. Agriculture is big business, especially here in North Carolina, where it is one of the top industries feeding our economy. Farming has long provided generational wealth for farmers and their families. But while black people have been farming ever since our country's inception, black farmers have always had to battle racially discriminatory practices to do business and hold on to their land. Despite social progress today, black farmers are still fighting for a seat at the table, and they're also using innovation to create space. Today, we will talk about both of these efforts, starting with a young farmer in Orange County, who's not only growing food, he's working to bring more young people into farming. Producer Kenya Thompson takes us to Sankofa Farms in Eflin to meet farmer Kamal Bell. My idea for our community is to have a similar distribution program to what the Black Panthers had. I want our food to be um, at a, a lower cost or free to us. Free food is a rarity within the Black community, but Kamal is determined to put an end to local food deserts with Sankofa Farms. We started Sankofa in 2016. That's when we received the funds acquiring the farm in 2016. The, the, the savior in our stories are people who look like us, are black people. And historically, black people held majority ownership of land, 16 million acres to be exact, in the early 1900s. So Sankofa comes out of West Africa, comes out of the Akan language, and it's represented... Oh, we just had a bumblebee. <laughs> That's a good sign this time of the year to see bumblebees. Speaking of bees, Kamal is also a beekeeper. Let's take a little detour and visit the honeybees on site. We're gonna go and take a look at the beehives that they have here. And so we've got to have safety first. You gonna put my gloves on? You're outside, you have resources like honey or pollen. But toward the middle of the colony, is where you will have what's called a brood chamber. And that's where the queen lays her eggs, and that's where the bees raise the eggs to larvae. When they hatch out, become larvae, they pupate, and then you'll get a full adult honeybee. Okay. So we're gonna go inside the brood chamber. Now these bees seem very calm. Is that normal? Uh, that's based on their genetics. Okay. So we have different types of um, genetics at the farm. These are Italian honeybees, but we do have Russian bees as well. The honey that they create, how sacred is that? So I, I think that honey is very, very sacred. We can actually can see some um, right here. The shiny is right here. Mm, I see it. And what I do with it, depending on the weather and the condition of the hive, we will actually uh, leave the honey inside the colony. Bee season is coming to an end, mm -hmm. and so you allow them to hibernate during the winter and, and keep them safe. So they do something similar to hibernation, okay. and it's called overwintering. So hibernation is technically like going into a dormant stage and almost sleeping. Mm -hmm. But what bees will do, they actually don't go to sleep, they just cluster up in a ball and vibrate to keep it around 95 degrees. And then on days where it's um, 
55 degrees or warmer, they leave the colony to use the bathroom to go forage on resources, and the queen uses that time to uh, lay eggs to keep the population stable. Now, let's get back to the root of it all, the meaning of Sankofa. And it's represented by a mythical bird whose body is facing forward, but is looking back, cusping an egg. The egg represents, or is, is symbolic of our history. So the idea behind the Sankofa bird is to embrace your history as you move forward in life. So how we teach it to our students is, we want to center African history to solve our context as we move forward to address things that we see in our communities. Through my maturation through college at North Carolina a and I was able to get connected with resources that put me in a position to eventually acquire a farm. The USDA originally denied me and didn't want to give me the farm. So then I had to appeal it, but then as I started to research, I saw why, why there was a disconnect between black farmers and acquiring land and their relationship um, proximity to the USDA. Historically, what the USDA um, has done is they have a loan, a predatory loan system that doesn't carry the black farmers. So you end up getting these revolving loans that completely, that eventually compound, you can't pay on them, and then you go into a, a process where they take your farm. For Kamal and many other black farmers, the land is what matters most. Farming just allows you to be in a safe place. For me, it's about the totality of our people being able to get reintroduced back into agriculture. A lot of the conversation has been centered around land justice and us in uh, reparations. Like, though that has come up a lot, uh, sovereignty. But I think we have to start having a different conversation about what to do once we get the land. Kamal Bell is creating space through his work, and farmers are also fighting for ground in the courts. On October 12th, civil rights attorney Ben Crump filed a class action lawsuit on behalf of four black farmers claiming breach of contract on the congressional repeal of a $4 billion debt relief program for minority farmers. This was an amount that was covered in the March 2021 budget reconciliation package. Before the money from that package could be dispersed, white farmers filed an injunction claiming the program was unconstitutional and that it discriminated against them. What are the larger implications of this lawsuit? And let's talk about it. Let's get right into it. I want to introduce Lamisha Whittington of Advance Carolina, L.A., why, welcome first of all, but why after Congress approved a plan does there appear to be kind of a switcheroo where now those funds to relieve black farmers' debts are no longer available through the original plan, but through a replacement plan with a bigger pot of money, which sounds really good, but it's available to all farmers. Right. So thank you first, Deb, for having me a part of this really critical um, conversation. This is one of, uh, when we talk about land loss, especially for black families, this is one of the largest civil rights fights um, of our generation. <clears throat> and so for context, we have to talk about the law, the actual lawsuit, but before then, the actual policy and the legislation that was challenged, right? So the American Rescue Plan Act, as we call it, ARPA, um, is this federal policy, this legislation that allocated historic amount of funding, right? The largest amount of money we will ever see or have ever seen in the history of this nation due to COVID-19. Right. And so this funding 
um, has been divided into different pots, different buckets. And so we saw congressional elected officials like Senator Cory Booker, who actually introduced this legislation when we're talking about um, protecting black family farm land from land loss. We see Senator uh, Warnock and other officials who actually made sure to step into place to say, well, let's make sure we can actually kind of support farmers who have been in debt and have also been discriminated against historically and have been in a deficit long before pandemic. Pandemic mm -hmm. just exacerbated that existing deficit, yeah. right? So when we talk about Black land loss, we already know that $326 billion uh, worth of land was lost from Black family farms. We're already in a deficit. Right. So this bill, uh, 1005, 1005 of the American Rescue Plan Act, was supposed to allocate and did say it, right, that the U.S. Department of Agriculture, who has a history of discriminating um, against well, black families and farmers um, and brown families of farmers. We're talking about Native Americans, um, Alaskan Native, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders and Hispanics. Right. And so this portion of the American Rescue Plan Act was supposed to allocate and actually pay 100 percent of the farmers outstanding debts and an additional 20 percent to cover tax liabilities just to get folks out of debt. And debt that really we shouldn't even be in, if it wasn't due to the discrimination, we wouldn't be in. And right. it would have covered those loan costs, right? So that's some of the lawsuit. But then we could talk more about your question here in a moment around, well, what's shifted? Why is that now changed? But right. I'll pause there. Thank you. Thank you. So in a way, there were some reparations made available, but the reparations haven't been paid. And here, white farmers have come through and said, well, now, wait a minute, that's not fair, and filed an injunction. And so now, none of those black farmers were able to get that debt relief and, so, so to speak, level the playing field. And it just seems like this has been going on since, to my knowledge, at least the 80s in and out of court, black farmers go to court, they get, the, um, they get the ruling in their favor because the documentation is there, but it takes so very long for this to happen. Meanwhile, they're losing land. They're going out of business. They're unable to purchase seed. And now we're in a place where Ben Crump has filed this lawsuit. Why are they able to just magically make this switch? in Congress when it was right. already agreed upon. So something you named, uh, this is a cycle. That's what I really want to call it. And it was built into the tapestry of our nation, the very founding. And so for, you know, some of the very first fights for black land was actually post-emancipation because right in 1862, before the emancipation papers um, were signed, uh, there was actually laws that were passed to prepare for emancipation that was going to allocate land called the Homestead Act, the Freeman's Bureau, uh, Field Orders Number 15. These are actual names of policies and laws that were passed on the federal level to move and to actually delineate land amongst free people of color. And so what happened is that once that policy was passed and land was supposed to be given back to black communities, the very same thing happened. Former uh, Confederate leaders who now had political positions within the federal government specifically President Andrew Jackson, overturned it. So what we saw was from the very inception, this nation has been the cycle of, you know, rightfully giving land back to Afro-Indigenous communities, back to emancipated folks, and then the building of economic and political power squelched because it's being overturned by challenges of people who wanted to. And what happened during that time is not only was it overturned, <clears throat> but the land was given back to former plantation owners. And, you know... So we also see this legacy. 
Right. We see the legacy. And like you said, we see the cycle. And that's why John Boyd, I believe, has said, you know what, we're, we're sort of giving up on the courts to provide any kind of fairness in this. And black farmers and others are trying to find their own remedies and go. But, you know, correct things and count on themselves, even though these subsidies, these programs are, are entitlements that that all farmers are are entitled to kind of cash in on, but the government is is indeed failing in that in that way. Let me ask you this: Are there programs out there to assist in keeping land and perhaps even obtaining land? Sure. So it's a longer conversation to talk about the different programs. So I'm going to steer folks into the direction of organizations that can help you navigate maybe the differences, whether it's heirs, property issues you may be uh, incurring. Maybe it's uh, from heirs, property to wills, to conservation land trusts. There can be so many different programs that can meet the needs um, of your land issues. So the Land Loss Prevention Project. Um, farms, which is f.a.r.m.s with Jillian uh, Hillshaw. Uh, we have the Interfaith Food Shuttle. Um, and I also have to elevate my own firm, uh, Nebia, N-E-B-I-Y-A-H Consulting, actually helped mitigate land loss and have been able to help secure 100 uh, acres this year alone for two different families and about $13 million for another community. So when we talk about reach out to us, because what's happening is this uh, process, this program is supposed to allocate $4 billion. It has been halted by the courts because of these lawsuits that was brought by attorneys from the former Trump administration. So it's still ongoing, still fighting the courts. That's what we have to do. Our protest has to be in the courts because that's how it's set up. But in the meantime, contact these organizations to help mitigate farm land loss or help you to acquire that land. Excellent. Well, L.A., the battle for equity in farming does not end in the fields. Foods harvested need to make it to market for buyers. Twice a month, the Black Farmers Market in Raleigh and Durham is creating access and opportunity in this space. Producer Meredith Brown brings us this story. If you want to know what a pocket of joy looks like, come to the Black Farmers Market. It's different from going to a grocery store. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's just the culture of it, I guess. It feels like I'm at like a family cookout or something. <laughs> it's not like walking into an outdoor store. It is walking into a party. Our farmers, our ranchers, our growers, they are like healing and reconciling our relationship to the food we eat and the ways in which we are planted on land that doesn't harm us, but is actually for our good. There's very little black owned land in the United States. And so that's something that is a really big issue for black farmers. Being on this land means a lot because it allows me to carry on traditions of my family and the family that used to own this land. And keeping it within a black family allows it to generationally continue to pass down and stay within black hands. Ooh, I hit the jackpot again. Ooh, yes, you did. Beautiful. Elijah's farm is named after my son. 
a lot of the kids in his age group do not get the same experiences as I had as a kid that kind of made me a hard worker and very diligent. So I wanted to give him those opportunities and I wanted him to have something that was in his name. Part of the benefit of the Black Farmers Market is that it allows each of us to be able to sell within our community, which would not normally happen because you don't find black farmers in the grocery store. You don't find black farmers products at the, at the markets. And so being able to have a market allows us to expose more people in our community to what we're doing. The mission of the Black Farmers Market is to inspire a self-sufficient community that supports and protects black farmers and entrepreneurs. Eating is a human experience. Everybody needs food to survive. Because of that, the market is for everyone. We intentionally prioritize people of color, black people specifically, because we want black people to know that farmers markets are for them too. When you come into this market, your perspective of agriculture changes here. It's people who look like you who are supplying the, the, the goods and the services. OMG Lemonade, we're an all-natural beverage company. We specialize in flavorlicious, delicious, and nutritious lemonade from farm to family. That's what makes us unique. We really just wanted to come experience the sense of community and kind of get to know some of the local farmers that are here in the area. Um, especially some of the black local farmers. That's something that I kind of grew up with and around and I haven't been able to find it since. <laughs> so it's been really amazing seeing this kind of pop up and being able to come from Greensboro. This is not just a space for commerce. It's a place for community and education. And so people can come and enjoy this market without needing to buy produce. The Black Farmers Market has helped me to grow as a business because they gave me my start. If it wasn't for the Black Farmers Market, I wouldn't be prepared to go to the other markets that I now attend. It has just opened up doors that would not have normally been open to me so that I could get to a point to be successful. Everyone should make it their responsibility to come to one of these events. There's plenty throughout the summertime. Uh, find a date, come to Durham or come to Raleigh and make your way here for sure. The Black Farmers Market is held monthly in Durham and Raleigh through November. In Durham, the market is at Hillside High School, and in Raleigh, you can find it at the Southeast Raleigh YMCA. For more information on dates and times, visit blackfarmersmkt.com or follow their Facebook page by searching for The Black Market NC. I'd like to welcome Brielle Wright, a lifelong farmer who in 2020 co-founded along with her sister, the Farmer's Bag, which stands for Blessed, Abundant and Gifted. Brielle, welcome to the conversation. You know, a lot of people are excited about the Black Farmer's Market and it's indeed a market for all consumers, correct? That is correct. Interestingly enough, when this story uh, was shared on our North Carolina Weekend series, there were some comments, um, and I'd love your feedback. For example, one viewer wrote, I don't understand the double standards. And another simply said, racism, amazing. And another one wrote, so is my whiteness welcome there? What are your thoughts when you hear those comments? Um, well, thank you for allowing me this opportunity to be here and speak about this. Uh, when I hear those comments, um, I would just like to ask you to come out to the Black Farmers Market and experience it for yourself. It is a welcoming and opening, open environment where 
everyone can come and enjoy the good food, the music, and, and just the culture. Uh, being able to submerge your, yourself into what black culture is and, and how vast and how much of a variety um, you get when you walk into that space. Um, I, I love the fact that we get to answer questions like this because it gives people an opportunity or gives us an opportunity to say, come on out and see us. So I, to everyone who has made those com comments, come and join us at the Black Farmers Market. And I promise you that you'll leave with a totally different perspective. Well, I love that you use the word culture because that's what I saw in that story. LA, when people ask, you know, why is there a Black Farmers Market? Where, why is there a Black anything? What are you hearing? Uh, what I hear is history and legacy. We were forced to create alternative food systems, whether it's because of discrimination from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, which wouldn't give us loans if we had heirs property or bank discrimination loans, which gave loans to neighboring uh, competitive farmers that were not of color, whether it was massacres, Wilmington 1898. The reason that was so important with farming is because when the new government came in, they passed actual ordinances that prevented black farmers from selling within Wilmington city limits and made it illegal to buy from black farmers. So when we talk about why, it's because we had to create alternative systems and we had to create those actual black farmers markets, whether it was in the civil rights movement through the Poor People's Corporation, who sold farmers wares and products in storefronts, or Fannie Lou Hamer, who started a co-op, so she broke crops and then hire uh, black people who were fired for protesting, or Jesse Jackson, who actually started the same farmer's market in Philadelphia and Chicago, or in Atlanta, the first Southern farmer's market. Why? It's because we had to, and we're inventive. We don't just take injustice lying down. We not only use our voices to protest against it, we use our hands to build empires and systems. And guess what? It's a Black-owned business. So in America, small businesses are the bedrock. In America, freedom of speech. So I have to say, when I hear those things, we choose to name farmers markets after ourselves because it's our products and our alternative systems. So I just would li literally behoove folks to let us mind our own black business while we're creating our own black businesses. <laughs> I have heard that. I have heard, I hear you on that. And you know, the questioning of a black anything for me, it reflects a lack of recognition of blackness as culture. No one would question, I don't think, a Hispanic fare or an Asian grocery or a Latino bank. So what could people better understand about black identity as a culture, Brielle? One of the things that I think people have to realize is that uh, black culture is so vast, right? You, you're bringing in um, so many people from different locations, whether, and, and blackness is just not African-Americans, you have to think about black people all over the world, people of That's color right. in general. Um, and whenever we think about the spaces we have to be in on a day-to-day -day basis, we're not always welcome in those spaces. And for anyone, when you think about the women's uh, suffrage movement, when you think about uh, just different things that have happened over history, uh, everyone wants to be seen, wants to be heard. and uh, I look forward to the day whenever we as black and brown people can be 
honored for that as well, that we're not looked at like we're trying to create some separate space or separate identity. We're just trying to share the vastness of our culture with other people. We're just trying to tell the story in all the many different ways that, uh, that we express who we are. And we look forward to people being able to enjoy that with us because it's a joy to be black and brown, I, even despite the struggles and the things that we see and, and the, the things that happen to us on a daily basis, we still have to find the spaces to be joyful and excited. Um, and the Black Farmers Market provides that safe space for us. The Black Farmers Market was created out of culture and out of a need for Black farmers to grow, for them to be able to thrive, for them to have a place to um, where they could sell their goods and merchandise for, um, you know, equal pay and um, being cherished for what they do uh, because they weren't welcome in other spaces. So it's a beautiful thing to have, uh, to be a part of black culture. I don't think that that should be missed, what you said. The welcome is there, people, anyone is welcome at the black farmer's market. It just so happens to be goods that are made and, and provided by, by black people. But the the inclusion part, the feeling of inclusion and the feeling of welcome in other spaces are at the root of why some of these new spaces get created. If the other spaces, you know, LA, you know, share a little bit about, you know, the people who you get to rub shoulders with, um, with regard to actually having full and complete access and inclusion at these other markets. And this is something I want to say as a resource, because that's a question that's come up in our conversation today. Ms. Debs, folks are listening in. Um, there are communities that are able to build, of course, farmers markets and being able to share and resource. But I want to make folks informed that there's a new environmental justice and external civil rights office that the U.S. EPA has recently announced. And, and guess what? As we go into elections, it's very critical that we vote in the right people because this office will have 200 staff members and be responsible for dispersing $3 billion in grants. So when we talk about the funding that's available and the resources, resources are coming to our communities, but we have to be prepared to be able to apply for those grants, to be able to be dynamic in saying how are black farmers also, we know, the economic bedrock, right, of our nation. But I really want to amplify that because as I'm rubbing shoulders in communities, the government in this moment is creating historical funding that is going to revolutionize and transform communities, but we have to be prepared to apply for that funding in order to see farmers markets, black farmers markets uh, supported and at scale across the nation, but also individual uh, farm land and homesteads. Absolutely, thank you for sharing that information. Lamisha Whittington, Brielle Wright, we really appreciate you joining us for the conversation. Thank you. And we invite you to engage with us on Twitter or Instagram using the hashtag Black Issues Forum. You can also find our full episodes on pbsnc.org slash Black Issues Forum or listen at any time on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. For Black Issues Forum, I'm Deborah Holt-Noel. We'll see you next time. Television is made possible through the financial contributions of viewers like you who invite you to join them in supporting PBSNC.